Lord, what a privilege it is to come with all these, our friends, one in Christ, to sit at your feet, to hear from your word, how we might live this life you've called us to this week. Lord, as we look at this prayer of rest in Psalm 91, I pray you would make us a people of rest and that we would find it ultimately in you, in you alone, Lord Jesus Christ. Take our minds now. Think through them. Take my lips. Speak through them. Take our wills and bend them to yours and take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Study after study after study has demonstrated that today's life in our culture, we feel more hassled and stressed than we've ever felt. Now, you compare this with previous generations, they may have had greater physical hardships, greater uh, you know, uh, employment hardships. You know, you think of all the child labor that went on in the 18th, 19th century, even early 20th century. The things that our, some of our ancestors went through seemed rougher, but you know what? We feel more so now than ever trying to cram more into a day we're, we're, we're attached to these things 24-7, right? And we're trying to cram in where, where 60 seconds feels more like 30 and 30 feels more like 5. It's a fact. And it's just the way we feel, and we feel more stressed and hassled and displaced than ever before. And so, you know, when it comes to us as employees, you know, the, the job descriptions get bigger and bigger and bigger. The paycheck doesn't. Because we're more efficient now. We can stay more connected now. Oh, parenting. You read Parents Magazine and what have you. It seemed like if you have it all together, you not only have them in piano and school choir and in soccer and or baseball, but that the travel time for there is no other kind they can be in after all, right? You know, no matter what, it never seems to be enough to be a good parent. And you know, the reality is, and in spite of all our efforts, things happen to us in our life. Loved ones, friends die. Serious illness happens. Relational betrayal and financial reversal. There's no way to stop these things from happening to they will come into your life. But it's a dangerous world. Shakespeare wrote, each new morn, new widows howl, new orphans cry. How does God feel about all this? All these hassles, stresses, and challenges that we have to deal with. How do you have peace and rest and poise in this real world in which we live? Psalm 91 tells us how we can have that. I encourage you to open up with me in your Bibles to Psalm 91. If you do not have a Bible with you, you can find it in your bulletin. We prayed it together today. And notice I said we prayed the psalm. We never read the psalm. Did you know that? We pray God's word back to him. We do that in our prayers too, by the way, because they're just typically prayers of scripture back to the Lord. That's who we are as Anglican Christians. 
But Psalm 91 is going to help us to gain a, a new perspective amidst all these challenges and hassles of life. We've been doing this series throughout Lent, living in the real world, a journey through Lent. The first week of Lent, we observed when we mess up, I mean really mess up in the Christian life, no matter what it is, how can we arise from that with greater joy and peace than ever before? That was the first week of Lent. Second week of Lent, we learned how do we come out of a season in life when things happen to us that we have absolutely no control over? How can we come out of those seasons with greater joy and peace and strength in the Lord than we've ever had before? Last week, we learned even when we're doing all the disciplines of life well in our relationship with the Lord, we all go through seasons of dryness. How can we come out of those seasons? Drinking like a deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you, O Lord. We learn from that how we can come out of there greater than ever before. And this week, we're going to learn how we can rest in the Lord, because that's where our true rest truly lies, because we've learned the nature of true rest and how to find it. That's all we're going. It won't be a 40-minute sermon this week, I promise. All right? It'll be the nature of true rest, all right? And how can we find it? Look at verses 1 through 4. Describes the position, the nature of it. This is what the believer finds themselves saying when they have true rest in the Lord. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. That's not so much a prayer as it is a position of the believer. And so the psalmist is saying, this is the position of the one who has placed their trust in God alone. And notice there's a parallelism going on here. Verse 1, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, dwell, will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Those words, yeshab in Hebrew, lolin, indicating this is the person. It's not just an intellectual assent. It's a 100% buy-in, trusting in the Lord. Therefore, they find themselves in God's shelter, abiding in the Lord. It's indicating a, a total trust. And such a person can claim that this person is Resting, finding their refuge in God, their fortress. It, 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 show, it gives us the idea of a fortress, an ancient fortress, an ancient castle surrounded by a huge moat that nobody can penetrate. It's absolutely impenetrable. You Lord of the Rings fans remember the people of Rohan, right? The, ro the riders of Rohan rode all over their land, and they were expert horsemen. But you know, when invaders came, since Rohan is kind of like the open plains of Nebraska, they didn't stay there. They retreated to their ancient fortress known as Helm's Deep. Because they were no fools. You can't guard your city on open terrain. you got to go to a fortress. 
and it was absolutely impenetrable. That's what God is trying to communicate to us, that when the person who's placed their trust has that kind of refuge, that kind of protection, and not only that, there's the image of a mother bird with her children, that God, he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings, you will find refuge. It could also be translated, you will find rest. You can abide in that rest, that the wings of God, like a mother bird, will cover you. But this is your helm's deep. In this, you have his protection. But is that really the way it is? Does this mean that troubles don't happen to the believer? Well, it doesn't seem so, because from verse 5 all the way down to 13, what do you have? Dangers, hassles, troubles. Because, remember, you have to interpret Scripture in light of all Scripture. Because what it's saying is, this is the position of the believer in the midst of such troubles. You know, I find it totally fascinating that of all the scriptures that the devil could use to tempt Jesus, yeah, and yes, I said the word devil, by the way. Our culture doesn't buy the devil. They're kind of cool with Jesus, kind of, sort of. You know, but hell, the devil, well, that doesn't exist. So a question you could throw back to the person is, so you believe in Jesus? Yeah. Well, Jesus really believed in the devil. He really believed in hell. And by the way, he talked about hell and money more than any other things, which I can't think of any two issues that are more offensive to Western culture than hell and the use of your money. Right? So Jesus believed in the devil. And as people who believe in the inspiration and inerrancy of the scripture, we believe what Jesus said. And so there's a devil. And all of a sudden, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus has just been baptized. Where does Jesus go? Out into the wilderness where he's tempted by who? The devil. And what scripture does the devil tempt him with? Psalm 91. Bible scholar June. Love it. All right? This is right. You're right. This is awesome. Hey, that's what, read large chunks of the Bible, and you'll be able to answer too. All right? That's what we believe in here at Christ Church, that read just, we don't need to know just little verses. We need to know whole books. That's why we're familiar with the book of Mark. Why? We walked through it for a year. We're familiar with the book of Acts because we walked through that for a year. We're learning Genesis because we're going to it. We went through Genesis 1 to 11. Then we went through Abraham. This summer we're going to go to Isaac. We learn whole chunks. Why? So we know it. We know the story. And we can relay it to our people. Not just these little, little verses that are isolated. Because when you see the whole picture, it's better. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Matthew chapter 4. Satan takes him up on a high on part of the temple, we believe. We don't know exactly. It says, throw yourself off. And then he quotes verse 11. For he will command his angels charge concerning you. Notice he stops after that. What's the rest of the verse say? I can't hear you. To guard you in all your ways. Satan doesn't say that. He twists scripture. Go ahead, Jesus. Throw yourself off. The angels will guard you. 
arguing all your days. <laughs> You've been living a splat, you know. You know, and then he quotes verse 12. And on their hands will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. What does Jesus say to him? You shall not tempt the Lord your God. All right? So the reality, friends, is there's a mysterious blessing we have as God's people in protection, not shielded from trouble, but in the midst of trouble, we have the presence of God with us. And he will command his angels concerning you and guard you in all your ways. Angels. You've all heard the story probably at one time or another of the missionaries in Ghana, early 20th century. It's in Billy Graham's book on angels. I encourage you to read it. It's a little read. Great book. These missionaries had gone, these Western missionaries had gone to Ghana to take the gospel to this tribe, and they had caught wind that a horde of, of natives were going to come and attack them at night. They were out of communication with their base. They couldn't find it. So they just said, we're going to turn to the Lord and pray. Well, so they went to their hut and they prayed and they heard all these villagers coming to attack them. And they just prayed, Lord, save us, protect us. And the villagers came within, you know, 15, 20 feet of the hut. All of a sudden they turned and went away. It's the middle of the night. The next day, one of the representatives from the village who was on the missionary's side, who had come to faith in Christ, said, that was amazing. Where'd that army come from? They said, what army? We don't know what you're talking about. There was a whole army of soldiers surrounding your hunt with spears. They said, we don't know any army. We don't know what you're talking about. All we did was pray. And they said, ah, I know where that army came from. Because you don't have to convince people in the East of the reality of the spiritual, friends. He sends his angels to guard his children. So pray for protection. Pray to God, not the angel, by the way. Pray to God, Lord, protect us. Watch over us. Keep us. And he'll send whatever angels he needs for your safety. He does that for his people. And notice, to guard you in all your ways. In every way, you, the way you live in your physical, your mental, your spiritual, all your ways, he will guard you. You see, that's the nature of true rest, that in your, in your midst, you know you're in God's fortress. No matter the experiences from verse 5 down, most of us have never had an arrow fly by our head, but some of you have had a bullet fly by your head, and you know what that's like. You've served in our military and combat. Thank you for your service. Most of us haven't, thank God. But you know the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, probably. You know what it's like to have a friend who's been sick or a loved one has. You know what it's like to have a relationship crumble, even as you're growing in your faith. You know what it's like that a bank account has shrunk dramatically overnight. This means that you must trust God in your troubles in order to be the person who can deal with those. Not trust that God will exempt you from trouble, which would be the worst possible thing for you. 
So this is a great segue from, that's the nature of true rest. Well, how do we find it? Notice 15 verse B. God says, I will be with him in trouble. There it is. He doesn't say, I will prevent trouble from happening. He says, I will be with him and her in trouble. And therefore, it's pointing to the rest of the Bible. It's more than you just feel God's presence in your troubles. But God goes a lot farther than that. Only in Christianity does it claim that the transcendent God, creator of the universe, who was exempt from trouble, became a human being, born in a manger, became a person who experienced the worst betrayal, the worst wrongdoing, the worst injustice, was beaten and died. The invulnerable God became vulnerable. The immortal God became mortal and went to the cross. And when he says that I will be with you in trouble, the first thing you need to know in your heart when you're in trouble is that you can get under his wings and in the fortress. But it doesn't just point to that. That's half the story of the incarnation. It also points to the substitution. Because what we see here is a mother hen going over her chicks. Jesus applies this image when he enters Jerusalem. We'll see this in Matthew 26. Jesus is talking in the context here about judgment for the unbelief of Jerusalem. That there's a ton of people that are in this city as he's going in for Holy Week that are keeping God right here. They're saying, I believe in God. They go to temple every week, but they don't have a relationship with the living God. And they're not obedient. And they don't care to. And Jesus says, oh, Jerusalem, as I've wanted to gather you as a mother under her children, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you would not. We hear that text and we think, oh, isn't that sweet? This place is going to get judged. And he wants them to be rescued in him. But they won't. You know, it's like a mother bird protecting her chicks. Jesus wants to protect them from judgment. So the judgment would not fall on them. It would fall on him. Not them. That's what Jesus is getting to. So the reality is when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he looked down on a people betraying him. He looked down on a people denying him. He looked down on a people who were dismissing him. He looked down on a people who were keeping him at arm's length. You know, let's not take this faith too seriously. We're reasonable people. Mocking him. And he took their judgment on himself. If you say that if you trust God and nothing bad will ever happen to you, you, you say that to yourself? You know, you read Psalm 91 and say, oh yeah, this is great. I don't need to fear the terror of the night or the arrow that flies by day and the pestilence that stalks at night. God will protect me. Well, Jesus Christ is the only person who ever completely trusted in God fully and bad things happened to him. 
Why? Because it's through that act God would bring your salvation, your redemption, the life you are designed for, not what our culture says how you should live. This is where true joy is. This is where true glory is. This is where true satisfaction is. Because look at what it says in verse 14. Because he, talking about the believer, holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. Notice what he's saying, that the person who believes knows, loves. You see, it's a love relationship. It has always been a love relationship. Can you say, I love you, Jesus? That's personal, and that's uncomfortable for some of you, I'm certain. My friends, you're not going to stand before Gene on the judgment day. We all will stand before him and give an account for the way we've loved him. Because you know what? That's the only relationship which will truly satisfy. I really want to beg our young people, because the world is climbing at you, saying you've got to have this, you've got to have that, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. Nonsense. Because true satisfaction is found in a relationship with the living God who loves you like this. Talk to anybody who's 60 or older because they're all nodding their heads saying, Preacher Gene, we love you. We want to tell you the truth. The world will throw all kinds of things at you. All us adults know this. And some of our adults are still struggling with this. My friends, we love him. As we love him, we know him personally. And we do this by looking at what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Because by looking at the cross, it'll propel you to love him. It'll propel you to know him more and more, to read large chunks of the Bible on your own. Because, Lord Jesus, if you suffer like that, I can suffer like this and become the person I always was meant to be. And there I will find my true satisfaction. This word, with long life, I will satisfy him. It's got the connotation of being full after a good meal of fried chicken. You know what I'm talking about, Sunday dinner? You know, you go home on Sunday afternoon and, and you make a nice meal. And afterwards you push away from the table and say, that was good. That's what a relationship with the living God is like. And when you look at the cross, that's the person who loves the Lord and knows the Lord and can be satisfied in the Lord. In closing, 1988 in Yellowstone National Park, there was a horrific, horrific wildfire. Damaged a ton of timber all over Yellowstone. As one of the uh, park rangers was walking through after the, the, the tragedy of that fire, which was human-based, by the way, this one ranger noticed that there was an awful sight of a carcass of a bird that had been totally burned on the ground. And so he just, he, it was eerie and kind of gross. So with his boot, he kicked it over. And what he realized is underneath that bird were three baby chicks alive. It was a mother who, as the oxygen was going out of the forest, knew she wasn't going to make it. So she covered her children completely and took the heat for them 
as she gave her life for them. My friends, that's Jesus Christ for you and me. As we find our rest on the cross, we will find ourselves in the fortress of his protection. Troubles will happen. This is not a prosperity gospel. But as we are in such hassles and troubles, know that God knows you You are in them, number one. Number two, get into the fortress by this relationship and abide and dwell in him. And as you do so, you will find a peace and a joy and a rest that you won't be able to even describe. And therefore, you'll be able to walk this through. You'll be able to live this life. You'll be able to go bless your neighbor. We've been talking about need-oriented evangelism. Forget about talking about your faith first. Just go bless somebody this week. That's your assignment this week. One person. Go bless them. Somebody where you live, somebody where you work, or somebody where you hang out. Who is that one person who needs a word of encouragement, needs a note, needs a phone call, needs you to bring them a big gulp? I don't know. Whatever it might be. Just bless them unexpectedly to meet a need and see what the Lord does. And come back next week and share with one another. You're allowed. You have my permission because I can't ask all 95 of you. All right. But turn to one another and say, hey, how, how, how did your blessing go this week? We can do that because we're resting. We can do that because we're not buying the stupidity of the devil who says, just go ahead and drive that Ford F-150 90 miles an hour. It doesn't matter. I had a kid in South Carolina who's no use to you if you did that. And Stephen's not walking today because he lived like that. He's a paraplegic because he looked and said, well, God will protect me no matter what I do. Ford F-150s weren't designed to go 90 miles an hour. My kids said, why in the world would God do this? I said, because young men do stupid things in F-150s. And that's not funny. Let's not put God to the test. Let's learn from our Lord. Let's live the lives because that's where true freedom is found. And because of this true freedom that we have, we can live. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for this day, and we're thankful for the rest that we can have in you, Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that the description of our lives is found in verses 1 through 4 and 14 through 16. And in the middle is all the hassles that we know you're with us because you loved us this much, Lord Jesus. I pray that no matter where we are in our journey this day, that you would help us to find this kind of rest each and every day of our lives. And as we go forth this week seeking to be a blessing, that this joy is contagious and that we would see you move because of the rest we have found in you, Lord Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.